Welcome to the Mental Health in Schools podcast, designed and delivered by Anna Bateman. Hello and welcome to Series 2, Episode 2 of Halcyon Education Podcasts. In this episode, I interview Mark Goodwin, who provides insights and wisdom into the importance of connection as we welcome more students back into school. He also talks about the challenges that can occur when we don't put connection, empathy and compassion as our mental health and well-being route map when coming back together. First, a quick word from our sponsors. At Jigsaw PSHE, we believe that personal development and strategies to build mental well-being need to be taught and not left to chance. Jigsaw, the mindful approach to PSHE, leads the way in providing children and young people with its acclaimed, well-structured and developmental lesson-a-week learning experience in PSHE from ages 3 to 16. Detailed lesson plans and all the teaching resources needed, along with free updates and ongoing support, make Jigsaw an invaluable, relevant and fresh resource, taking the worry out of PSHE planning. Written by teachers for teachers. A mindfulness philosophy and practice underpins the whole programme. Statutory government requirements for relationships, health and sex education are amply covered. For more information, go to www.jigsawpshe.com or call at Jigsaw HQ. Now to the podcast. I'm absolutely thrilled to have Mark Goodwin, who's the founder of Equal Parts Education, with us today. Mark's got 20 years' experience in education, and he works particularly in first provision, supports pupils on a daily basis, helping to reduce exclusions, and also does lots of training for schools on behaviour. So I'm absolutely thrilled to have you with me today, Mark. No, thank you, Anna. It's a privilege to be here. It's always interesting to talk, uh, always interesting to talk about work. And I think we've got a lot of overlap, a lot of similarities in the work we do. So I'm really looking forward to this, Anna. Thanks for having me. No, you're welcome. And I I think what was great for me is that I came across a blog or a a piece that you'd written about getting connected after isolation because, you know, I I support a lot of primaries and secondaries and as soon as sort of lockdown happened and I was doing that remotely, the the questions kept coming up about what do we do when we come back together as schools do, we, you know, we're looking ahead and, and a lot of schools are worrying about mental health and what happens when we come back together, what will that look like? And came across your blog, which I thought was absolutely brilliant and it was a really helpful piece that kind of helped to crystallize some of the support that I've given to schools and particularly for me Mark what I found really interesting was the the idea about sort of not using the deficit language as you called it I think that's so important how did you come about the blog how did you come up with the content where's that come from is that all your years of experience a common focus for me in work with kids that have been excluded an exclusion is really quite an extreme measure but for a kid to experience i liken it to being put out of the tribe put out of the community that's not to over emote on it it's a way of understanding what's happened to that kid they've been told by a school community that they're not wanted and without going into the the politics of exclusion that's just simply a fact all the kids that i speak about have got this massive disconnect in the two years that i've been doing this work a focus of my work has been on re-establishing a connection between the kid and their learning and ultimately a school, a new school. 
So all my work was around connection. And I was really impressed by some work that I read about how many mental health problems are rooted in the disconnection people feel, whether that's from family, from community, from job, from whatever it is in their life. A lot of my work is already based, how do you get a kid to pick up learning after they've had such a disastrous experience of it? There's all kinds of things that I do to make that happen. When lockdown started, I did project into the future a little bit. And I thought, well, you know, my desire at that point was to help as much as possible with what I thought the problem might be. And I envisaged the problem being as you described, kids who normally would love school would bounce into school, don't normally have problems in school, after, as it was then, seven, eight, and as we now know, 12 weeks of absence, and it may be even longer for some kids. What approaches, what language, what kind of conversations would those kids need when they return to school? So really, I just put down in writing the kind of things that I do regularly with the kids in order to help teachers have these conversations with kids. The specifics of your question was about the deficit language. It's no surprise that with the kids that I work with, they're, they're victims really of accountability, data-driven language in schools about how much of a success or in their cases failure they are because they haven't met the standards. It's something that I have to obviously address because these kids are going to go back into school. It is the language of school, but it doesn't help me or help the kid to keep going on about how much they failed or you know how much they've how much time they've lost or how much progress they haven't made or you know what they need to do whether they're in year 6 uh, year 9 or or year 11 so i was just really anticipating sadly what's come to pass the kind of language that schools will quickly slip into which was we've lost time we're behind you've got exams to pass you need to catch up. And I wanted to guard against that sort of language because under the circumstances, with kids that are already feeling disconnected, already potentially feeling quite disillusioned, the last thing they need to hear is, and you've got to catch up, and you're behind, and you're doing that. If we want to get these kids back into our school communities, start working with them again, we've really got to guard against that. I mean, this idea that they've all been working from home We've got to be careful of that. Uh, they, they've been doing the best they can during a pandemic crisis. That's something that I've got pinned to my, my laptop here to remind me that we are doing our best. So instead of the deficit language, let's meet them where they are. What have they done? That would be a far more helpful starting point to get these kids to pick up with learning, which is what we want them to do. It's what I want them to do. But acknowledge what they've done acknowledge the best part of what they've done and, and start working from there. Mm. I think that's great as well, because, you know, when we think about the pandemic, it's, it's not, no, it's nobody's fault. It's not their fault, I guess, in a way. It's not, and actually the circumstances often the young people are in are not their fault. There's sometimes, you know, circumstances of what's happened at home or gone on around them that has then created this feeling within them. So yeah, to go in with a deficit of con almost blame, is just going to add, isn't it, to the whole, not just the disconnection, but the anxiety that has been, you know, sitting within and around in the environment and just to create that. 
Yeah, and in my blog, I was very careful because I was very careful about the language that I used because you have to acknowledge that it's a pandemic and a crisis and you, you, you choose your words carefully. Schools would, would manage these conversations, but you have to acknowledge that. But I'm quick to say that you have to see the best part. It's a philosophy that I've had really all my life. You know, I'm, I'm known as the, you know, Mark the Optimistic, uh, you know, uh, glass overflowing ease, you know, because that's hard one. I mean, without boring you with a long life story you know I, I find that what works best for me is to see the best part if you've been a teacher for 20 years and you've experienced the cut and thrust of a, a mainstream comprehensive at senior leadership level you know you've had a plenty of opportunities to see the worst of, of, of schools and leadership and management and accountability but I've always believed that you've got to see the best part and that's what I, I say to the kids well even in just in a microcosm of the work I do or, or just reflecting on what schools can do, you know, yes, it's been terrible. Yes, it's been horrible. But we can drag kids out of their despondency and their unhappiness by saying, yeah, but there were some good parts, weren't there? In the pandemic uh, circumstances, we talk about family time spending time with families, doing cooking, having more time with dad at the table, mom at the table. So many things to, to miss. And, and, and be unhappy about, but let's look at the good things. And so in my work, when I'm working with a kid that is really struggling, doesn't want to do the work, doesn't want to re-engage, sometimes I just take away one, you know, questions being answered, you know, the, the dates being written down, you haven't stormed off this week, uh, this lesson. And because those are the positive building bricks that help the, the build the foundations of, of something better. So yes, we have to acknowledge, we have to see it for what it was. I mean, some kids will have lost family members. Some kids might have had a horrible experience at home with mom and dad. But if we find the best parts of that and use those as the building blocks, the foundations for something positive, I think that's a much better way forward. We're behind. You've missed out. You're yeah. full blame and yeah. victim shaming that sometimes we can slip into. Yeah. I think you're right as well about choosing language carefully, you know, really that the language that, that does flow from people around students who have struggled with their mental health or are not able to manage to be in school in their usual way. It's really important that, that we, we do choose our language carefully. And I, and I love in your blog as well that you use, what was it, the three words, I see you. And again, yeah. I just thought that was brilliant about how kids are seen and how important that is. Yeah, I mean, the amount of times I've heard, yeah, yeah, but I'm, I'm bad, aren't I? You know, uh, I'm a waste of space. You know, it's heartbreaking. You know, a, a kid of 10, a, a kid of 14, whatever they are, age they are, their, their experience of school has resulted in them thinking that they are a waste of space. You know, I might as well not, but what's the, you know, all that. You've got to see them. And this is where the work is done, really. Finding out what they're really about. Finding out what motivates them. Finding out what their meaning and purpose is. I don't mind talking in those quite highfalutin terms. Because when you connect with that, you can connect them with anything. Every kid that I've worked with, any teacher can tell you this. You know, even, even you know, the, the worst kid, you know using the language of judgment but you know, every kid has got some bad uh, animal you know kids that are just a, a nightmare to, to work with but they can they know exactly what to do with an animal kids that uh, are, are difficult to engage in conventional learning but you give them a ball and a hoop 
and that they'll show you what they can do because they're physically uh, creative and athletic. So it's, it is really seeing what they're all about. So I, I do work on finding that out because I believe that school is the best place for kids. The right school is the best place for kids. And I know that any school can accommodate the interests of even the most obscure interests of kids, you know. So they like photography, they like music, Jing, there's a school that will cover that, you know, school will, and then you've got, you're building up these links and connections between the kid. But you have to believe that that's there. You have to believe that that seed is there, really seeing the kid. You know, it, 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 it's really, I see you and I get you, I understand you, I, I, I know where you're coming from, I know what you've experienced, and I know what you want to do. The practical application of this is just to always speak from potential. You know, no matter what they feel, however they feel about themselves, I always say, but you've got unlimited potential. You know, Carol Dweck, growth mindset stuff, and it's that, that magic word, yet, yet and they say i can't do this i can't do that and it's just yet and that as a part of a framing a potential framing the conversation in potential is there's a strong way of building connections and that's what the best teachers do anna that's what the best schools do you know they 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 see that you know they take kids where they are they understand that they're doing the best they can with what they've got and they've all got a meaning and a purpose that drives them. And it's a way of connecting that, getting that into school, helping the school to connect that. That's what the best teachers do, Anna, and that's what the best schools do, in my view. Yeah, absolutely. I think when we talk about being seen, that isn't just for the kids as well, is it? It's for staff, and particularly, I think, with the anxiety of coming back together, for leaders and mental health leads that are listening, being there and seeing and understanding, like you said, I, I thought it was lovely the way you said it, it isn't just obviously seeing as in sight, it's, it's knowing the person and taking time to get to know them. I get you. And how important that is for staff as well, isn't it? It's good old fashioned empathy, isn't it? Anna? Empathy. <laughs> I was careful about the language because I was well aware that I was writing. People will be reading it whose experience of these 12 weeks might be tragic, you know, loss of loved ones. So I was careful about the language, but I was also careful because in my training, I'm always wary of this. You have to acknowledge the staff first. So under these circumstances, and I've seen this with the schools that I work with, school leadership from the head down into the leadership team are doing a lot of work to support the staff. The first people to be welcomed back into the school were the staff, and they were taken through, of course, training on procedures, but also check-ins about where they are and how they feel. And some staff are allowed to stay out of it for a, for a bit longer if that's what they need, if they're you know, physically protecting themselves or if they're not up to it. And it is, it's about the staff have to look after themselves. Staff have experienced this. It's that old oxygen mask analogy. I'll put that in there because we have to look after, uh, I, I always say this, we have to look after our own mental health and well-being in order to best support the, the well-being of others. That, that will in itself take some work. So the same applies, really. Throw a wide circle, really see them, remind them of their why. You know, if I was, if I was still standing up in, in front of staff, that's what I'd be saying to the staff. It's the best job in the world, but things have changed and we're in different circumstances, but we're all in this together. Mm-hmm. And as a community, we're going to work this out. And, mm-hmm. But seeing the staff and acknowledging the staff 
for what they've been through will be very important and mm. that work will make the work with the students possible in my mm. view and i think what we're, we're sort of describing is that is that roadmap to reconnection to when we're all back together and describing what that language looks like what the approach looks like for, for students but also what's important is how that looks for staff as well as part of that roadmap to, to connecting back it's acknowledging the loss but acknowledging how we've got through the loss and how we've reconnected. And now a short break to hear from our sponsors. CPOMS is an online system for schools to manage pastoral concerns and events and is now used by over 10,000 schools. The main reason it works so well is that the categories of information a school logs on CPOMS are chosen by the school so that the concerns you face that are unique to your community or individuals can be logged accordingly. It saves a huge amount of time compared to doing things on paper. Chronologies for pupils or school-wide reports can be generated quickly. The Service Point support team provide an incredible standard of service and one of the main reasons that CPOMs are spread by word of mouth to so many schools. For more information go to www.cpoms.co.uk where you can also book a demo for your school. Now back to the podcast. I'm just going to play devil's advocate for a moment. What what do you think the challenges are then if a school decides to, to ignore that as part of coming back together? So, you know, because I think schools, you know, we're great at teaching and we sometimes default to what we know because we're afraid ourselves or we're anxious ourselves. So, you know, we're worried about the children catching up and our results and our data. So, you know, the first couple of days back, we're going to get them tested, get them back in. I'm just really interested from your point of view because I think you do see the flip side of of what would happen if a school had decided that was the approach to take. I would urge school leaders to be brave. The deputy head, I know all about progress measures. I know all about, you know, point one, whether plus or minus and the impact that can have on uh, reputations, on cohort, on on a year group, on a teacher. I'm, I'm well aware of those pressures and they're building and you don't have to play devil's advocate. There are voices out there, powerful voices, you know, influential voices who are talking about catching up, who are talking about teachers and summer school and work that needs to be done. But I also hear plenty of schools and school leaders who have been brave and saying the most important thing is the well-being and mental health of our staff, our children, our school community. And they are talking about a recovery cu- curriculum. Yeah. They're talking about time taken to talk about how they feel, talking about their fears and addressing those fears, addressing anxieties. There's enough work, there are enough ways of doing this, and I'm never one to uh, overindulge in these sort of conversations. There will come a time when work has to be done, when you know we have to roll our sleeves up and get on with things. Kids know that. You know, I never really understood, because for every kid knows how important school is. They just lose sight of that. They just lose their way. I, even the most, you know, even, even, you know, an excluded kid still says to me, they want to do well. You know, they want to go to, I don't, I don't, you know, I, I don't, you say to them, say to a kid, oh, well, you might end up on the doll. And, and, no way. I ain't doing that. You know, I, I, do you know what I mean? So kids know what's at stake and they know it's important. But I've been saying that we don't know a lot of things about exams. We all hope as teachers that the exam boards will make some sensible decisions between now and and Christmas and start to look at next year's exam season. 
they've got to uh, acknowledge that a large chunk of the specs won't have been delivered. Mm. And no matter how much catch-up you do, mm. you, it can't physically be done. And we hope that the, the, the leaders in those worlds will make some sensible decisions. In terms of the devil's advocacy you were putting forward about what if schools do this, well, if, if schools do do that, there will be more kids who are unhappy and there will be more kids who are excluded. The figures that are dramatic and depressing will just be accelerated and increased. And the retention and recruitment crisis that we have in teaching will be further exacerbated because teachers will think, I'm not, I, can't do it. I can't do this and I don't want to do this. There's, there needs some careful, cautious, compassionate, empathetic work to, to welcome teachers back into, the, into their jobs. The, the risk is that we, we lose even more than, than we've got. And I'm not, you know, I'm not being overdramatic about that, Anna. I think it's, it, it, it's widely recognised outside government, <laughs> everywhere except government, that, that, that there's a crisis. You know, I, I work with NQTs, I work with experienced staff, and I, I, I say all the time, I, I am an advocate for t- teaching. I've not, I've not always been a teacher. I, I'm glad I am, and I'm glad I've had 20 years have those, have those years been easy? No, not by a long stretch, but I signed up for a profession. I signed up for a challenging profession mm. and I've, I've loved it through the, through the challenges. And I just remind teachers of that. You know, every day you can go and connect with a kid. Every day you can connect with your subject. Every day you can have an impact, possibly, potentially, a life-changing impact on a kid. I mean, what more can yeah. you ask for? Yeah, and that's why we love the job, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah. And I, interesting, I was listening to a webinar yesterday. There was some research that they've done just literally coming out of when lockdown started. And actually what the, the young people, particularly teenagers, were saying that they'd missed was, was the connection with their teachers. And that had come out as a surprise that actually one of the things they were really missing was that connection. You know, we're already halfway there. We've already got those young people ready and willing to connect and wanting to be in school for that reason. And then interestingly, this data is also layered with then their anxieties about how they catch up a son who's in year 10, uh, myself, you know, and there's all those worries about what does next year look like? And I think you're quite right. If we had people making decisions about exams next year, obviously that would alleviate a lot of stress. I mean, if it doesn't, then as you said, but just that very clear vision, I think, and I think it's important for our leaders to have that vision, which translates into the language, which translates into what we then do, is that yeah. compassion and the bravery to, to reconnect rather than just go straight into lessons and things like that. Yeah. I've got about two, three, five mantras that I always say, and the kids I work with end up rolling their eyes by the, the 15th time they've heard it. I'll, I'll avoid doing that. Yeah, <laughs> but on. no, no, it's fine. You, you'll know it, Anna. It's control the controllables. You know, we can't, there, there are many things that, that impact upon us that we can't control, but we control our response to those, uh, those things because, you know, that, that's where, that's one of the many well-being struggles that, that kids have because they get in incredibly wound up, angry, scared, unhappy about things that people say, about things that they've heard, about what a teacher's doing, about what the, the, they've seen on the news. And it's, it's, it's reminding kids, well, yes, <laughs> you know, things happen, but, you know, how are you going to respond to that? Yeah. You know, control your response to that what is there anything you can do about it well let's park that let's leave that to one side so and it's not ignoring the 
the difficult things, but it's it's responding in a way that makes the, the, the challenge achievable. You can actually do something. The worst case scenario, and they say, my, my response, and then if they did say that exams as normal, you know, no changes, no, no accommodation, that's shocking. <laughs> you know, that would be utterly shocking, but there's nothing I can do about it. I'm not Gavin Williamson. I, I, you know, I, I'm not Amanda Spirit. I can, right, and what do we need to do then? Yeah. We need to maybe think smartly about the exams, do a bit of a question spotting. Are there stuff that never comes up? Yeah, et cetera, et cetera. All those things that, that teachers do that might get a kid through. But control the controllables, a big one for me, Anna. Like it. Yeah. And I think what you've also provided, you've provided a handout for our podcast today, haven't you, which I absolutely loved. Can you tell, tell us a little bit more? So if you want to go onto the website, so halcyon.education, you can have a look on episode two, and there's a handout that Mark's provided, which I loved your, your narrative about it, about checklists. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, checklists, Atul Gawand, some work I read uh, some years ago now. He was a surgeon, and he wrote about how introducing a checklist into his hospital saved countless numbers of lives around washing of hands, around preparation of instruments, around procedures in the theatre. Obviously, this, this caused a big stir and he wrote a book. He started off as an article and he wrote a book. And I was really taken by that eight, ten years ago. So I, I always had these checklists like for lesson observations, for, for lesson planning. I was, I was lead on teaching and learning. Uh, later on, you know, around the calendar, and around meetings and I became known for for having these checklists and they do just give you a a reminder even with things that we do well staying with teachers things that we do well we we forget really easily you know we've got a complex brain and things jump in things are forgotten things take over things surprise us so I've worked on that for for some time it's there's probably a couple of months working to that because I kept going back to it and trying to get it down to a point where a teacher could read that and just remind themselves of the things we do and say that can de-escalate, that can reconnect, that can get a kid back with us without recourse to you know, sanctions, and which you know, rarely work anyway. A, a genuine approach, a relational approach, that's, that's the word I was looking for, I give that away. It's my uh, welcome gift to anybody that connects on Twitter, mm-hmm. that connects uh, through my website. I take it to my training. I, I, gave, I did some Zoom training uh, just a couple of weeks ago, and I'm happy to give that away as, as a starting point. Um, uh, and, I mean, you, you know this, Anna. My, my training is built around though, that checklist, really. Mm-hmm. So uh, any of those points, you can expand and explain why and, and how you do it. But just as a simple checklist, I used to have checklists at the front of my planner, you know, teacher yeah. planner, and just remind myself just at the start of the day. Um, I used to have a, a checklist for phoning parents, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. especially those, especially, you know, Anna, don't you, you know, especially those difficult phone calls because you need some control yeah. over the over the conversation and often when we're in a situation where a kid is challenging is is disconnected we can quickly our emotions can take over and a checklist like that you can just act as a little reminder just a daily reminder about good relational practice with the kids and yeah. 
Yeah, I, and I think that's perfect because, you know, we are going to be coming back to, and, and staff are currently going back into school feeling anxious. You know, I see emails daily, weekly from staff, um, not just about the students coming back and parents' anxiety, particularly in primary, about sending their children back, but staff's own anxiety about coming back into the building and what that's like. Like you said, having that checklist that's just there to remind. So when we do go offline, when we are anxious and we forget, it brings us back into that kind of our, you know, that that helpful process, I guess, really, some of it. Yeah, so it's absolutely yeah. brilliant. And I see that, you know, the, whatever your checklist is, I like it when, when it's mine that a school is referring to, but uh, whatever checklist it is, then if all the staff are aware of it as well, Mm. Do you, you get that uniformity of approach yeah. when that happens. I mean, that's absolute gold dust, isn't it? it uh, is. The kids know they're going to get the, the conversation they need, the approach they need, the questions or strategies that they need, and they're going to get it from all the teachers around them. And that's when a, a school really takes off. It's gold dust, absolute gold dust, Anna. Absolutely. And I think it's one of the biggest challenges, isn't it? Especially in large schools, getting all the staff to, you know, use the the sanctions or the behaviour management strategy in the right way so that it supports. But I think, you know, having a checklist at this point of reconnection is just going to be perfect to, to, like you said, to bring everybody together with that same common language, with the empathy and compassion and bravery that's needed that you've mentioned today. So let's hope so. Yeah, no, let's hope so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So thank you so much for your time, Mark. Honestly, really appreciate it. And I know the schools will really appreciate your, uh, your wisdom um, and insights that you provided us today and indeed your checklist. No, um, it, 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 it's a pleasure, Anna. I mean, we, uh, we connected about well-being. Those conversations are more important than, than ever. All I ever think what drives me is, is just wanting to help, really, Anna. Mm. You know, I mean, I, I don't claim to have all the answers, but I put my work with, you know, some of the most disconnected kids, some of the most unhappy kids on the table. And I say, I, th- I think that there is probably something to this. If my work helps, then I'm satisfied and, and my meaning and purpose and my well-being is, 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 is managed and, and supported. So yeah. I'm really grateful for the opportunity. It's always great to talk, Anna, and I've enjoyed yeah. our conversations leading into this. And yeah, uh, th- thank you for the opportunity to to speak today brilliant well you take care good to good to catch up i will do i will do thank you anna thank you for listening head over to the webpage at www.halcyon.education and go to the podcast webpage to download mark's how to turn around a kid's checklist that was talked about in the episode We have a wide range of loss and trauma experienced by some of our pupils and this checklist will be invaluable for supporting those who need it most. We hope that you enjoyed this podcast. For more information and support on this topic, go to the resources section on the website. That's www.halcyon.education forward slash podcasts.